It's great to be here this morning, and uh, it's my privilege to be able to welcome you here. My name is Mark. I'm one of the leaders here at Christ Central Church. And over the last few um, months, over a year now, I've been preaching through the, Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Um, last time, we looked at just one verse and saw how Paul uh, was describing himself as a prisoner of Christ. And what he meant by that, his life was now completely Christ's. This time we're going to look at uh, Ephesians chapter 3 and verses 2 through 13. So hold on to your hats. We're going at breakneck speed this morning. Actually, I think it's only the worship band we're wearing hats this morning. So the rest of you just hold on to each other. Um, <laughs> but we're going to get through a good uh, dozen verses this morning. Um, now, you know what it's like when you're speaking with someone and then you get interrupted and you have to come back to your point later. Paul actually manages to interrupt himself in these first few verses of chapter 3. Um, so you can read verse 1. We can just pop it up on the screen. You can read verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. And then you can skip to verse 14. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. That's kind of the, where Paul's wanting to go, but he interrupts himself um, uh, with 12 verses of, uh, of his writing, and this is what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to look at Paul's interruption, um, and he's going to talk about his job description, among other, th among other things, the role that God has given him to do. So why don't we read those uh, verses? I will uh, read them. You can follow in your Bible or you can follow them on the screen. We're looking at the NIV version. If you have another version, you'll get slightly different nuances, but pretty much the same message. Paul says this, Surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I've already briefly written. In reading this then, you'll be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which wasn't made known to people in other generations as it's now being revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given to me through the working of his power. Although I'm less than the least of all God's people, the grace, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages was kept hidden by, in God who created all things. His intent that was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask, therefore, not to be worried or discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. Okay, quite a lot in there. Um, we'll try and unpack it. I'll try and make it a little bit easier to follow and to understand. Um, at different times, the, the words that I'm kind of referring to may appear in bold on the screen, uh, just give you an idea of where we are in the passage. So basically, Paul is saying to his readers, the Ephesians, listen, you've heard all about the administration of God's grace that God gave me to give you. you it's basically everything I've just been saying to you, he's saying, in the last two chapters. 
He's saying, you know, we've been adopted to sonship. We've been chosen, forgiven, redeemed. We've been marked with a seal. We've been given the Holy Spirit as a down payment, as our inheritance. We're reminded of God's great love for us, that even when we were dead, Christ made us alive in him. We've been raised and we've been seated with Christ in heaven. All of this comes by his grace that we receive through faith. And Paul then reminds us that the Christ, through his death and resurrection, has made one church out of those who had God's promises. He's taken the Jews, those who already had God's promises, and he's taken the Gentiles, those who were hopeless without God, and he's reconciled both together to God through Christ's work on the cross. And now we have access to the same Father, and the Holy Spirit lives in us. That's pretty much all that we've looked at in the last two chapters. That's pretty much a year's worth of preaching there. In, uh, in 30 seconds. <laughs> and some of you are thinking, yes, <laughs> why couldn't you do it like that? Um, <laughs> Paul is saying, God has revealed all this to me. He's saying, God's revealed it all to me. He's revealed it all to the other apostles. He's revealed it all to the prophets. And he's entrusted me with this great news to give to you so that you can be in the benefit of it. And that's what he means by the administration of God's grace. It's a bit of a, 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 a difficult phrase, really. But that's what he means by it. Uh, another way of saying it is the stewardship of God's grace. He's saying, God's given something to me that I am going to give to you. Paul is a steward, someone who's entrusted with something which is to be given to someone else. It's a bit like a postal carrier, a mailman, a mailwoman, who is also a steward They've been given something which has got to be passed on safely to someone else. I sometimes feel like I am the church's mailman um, because I work here in the building. Often people say to me, oh, could you just give this book to Ollie, please? Or please, could you give these keys to Emma? Could you give this to so-and-so? And I say, oh, yeah, okay, so I'll take them. And then when I see that person, I'll give the thing over. And, it, and that happens quite a lot. Um, but in a similar way to Paul, in preaching, I've also been given a stewardship job. I've been given the job of passing on to you something that hopefully I have come to understand. You may already have understood it, but maybe some people haven't. Um, but hopefully you'll understand more as I communicate that, as I pass that on to you. Paul's saying, in the past, people haven't understood this plan all that he's just gone through. He, they've not understood it because God hasn't revealed it to people. God hasn't sent it out to be uh, shown to people yet. Yes, there's scripture, and in, in other generations, people had the Old Testament, they had the scripture. It did point towards what God was going to do, but it's already always been there, but, but people hadn't really understood it. God hadn't yet revealed it. God hadn't mailed it out. We can only understand what God reveals to us. We can only understand what God reveals to us. Even now, people's minds are blinded to the truth unless God opens our eyes and reveals it to us. Some of the smartest people in the world say, oh, there's no God. They don't believe that there's a God because God hasn't yet revealed it to them. He hasn't opened their eyes. As intelligent people, intellectual people, we want to investigate things. We want to look. We want to find out things about the character of God. But the Bible tells us unless he reveals those things to us, 
we can't understand them. When I was at university, I studied biblical studies. It actually wasn't a Christian-based course. Um, it was in Sheffield in the UK, and a number of us who were studying it were Christians, and we're studying the Bible, but we're looking at it in all sorts of different ways. Um, two of my best friends, the two people who got the highest grades in my, in my year, uh, they were friends of mine. Uh, one was, was originally from a Christian family, but he had become a Hindu, uh, he converted to Hinduism. Another one was an atheist who was also a Marxist. So we had some really interesting conversations about things. They were really smart. Um, I often felt quite inferior to them. They got the highest grades when they qualified at university. Anyway, we went on a study visit one year to Israel, and we had a couple of uh, weeks in Israel, uh, a whole number of us. I ended up rooming, sharing a room with these two guys. And one night, we were talking about, and we were lying in bed, and we were talking about uh, a passage in the Gospels. We knew how to have fun. And uh, <laughs> I, can't, I can't remember exactly which passage we were talking about. They were debating between themselves about what the meaning of this passage was. And I'm just lying there thinking, man, this is like really complicated. I don't understand half of what they're saying. I'm thinking, oh gosh, I'm, I just see things in maybe such a simple way. And uh, they said, suddenly, they, I was quiet, and they said, Mark, what do, what do you think about it? What do you think this passage means? I'm like, oh no, they're just going to think I'm an idiot. And uh, so I, I, I said, well, you know, I don't know. I, I kind of just think it's about God's grace, and it's about his forgiveness for us. And they, and they just stopped, and they said, wow. You know, I, I don't think I've ever seen that passage in that way before. They'd not understood what, to me, was the clear and obvious meaning of that passage. And I was thinking, how can you not have seen that? Like, you're really smart. How can you not have seen that? Well, they hadn't seen it because God hadn't opened their eyes to it. God hadn't revealed it to them. They were blind to the truth. God is a God who reveals truth to us. He opens our eyes. He can open your eyes this morning if he hasn't done so already. I'm praying that he will do. Jesus walked with his disciples after his resurrection. He walked with his disciples, a couple of his disciples, on the road to Emmaus, and he was talking with them, but the Bible says he doesn't, they don't recognize who he is. They don't know who he is. I've got a facial recognition problem. It's a bit like my life, is this passage, chatting with people, not knowing who they are. Um, but, the, but anyway, that's what was happening with these disciples. And then Luke says he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. He went through the scriptures, and he's pointing out things about Jesus. He's opening their eyes. He's revealing himself to them through scripture and then over a meal, it says their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And they asked, were our hearts not burning within us when he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to them, to us? These men didn't fully understand who Jesus was. They didn't even recognize Jesus when he was walking with them until God opened their eyes. He opened their eyes to understanding and he opened their eyes to see who he really was. That's what God does. God is a God who reveals himself. God may be revealing himself to you even this morning. How does he do it? 
how does God reveal himself to us? Well, he reveals himself to us through scripture, as, as Jesus did, going through scripture with these disciples. Scripture is infallible. It's the benchmark by which we judge everything. We can rely, we can trust what is said on scripture. God also reveals himself to us through prophecy, through things that people say. We had an example this morning of people, of, of, of Bromwin coming up and just saying what she felt God was saying. It was kind of a picture. We, God speaks to us sometimes and declares things to us through his people. Now, that is not infallible because we're people and we mess up sometimes and sometimes we say things which aren't quite right, quite accurate, and we have to measure it up against what the Bible says. But it's still a gift of revelation so that we can see and we can understand who God is more clearly. So God revealed his plans to Paul, and his plan was this, the Jews and the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel. Both Jew and Gentile come together, they're both included in Christ. There's only one way that you can come to know God now. Only one way, and that's through Jesus Christ. He said himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's pretty clear, isn't it? He's making it pretty clear. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is either revealing the truth to people about himself, or he's being incredibly arrogant. You can't really say, oh, Jesus is just a good man with some good moral teachings. Actually, if he's not the way, the truth, and the life, uh, he's a bit sketchy. You really don't want to be following him. If I say, I am the only way to come to, to God, you'd be like, I don't think so, Mark. See ya. <laughs> but Jesus is the only way. Jew, Gentile, they come to God through Jesus. They come into the church together. The church is the focus of God's plan. The church is like the focal point of God's plan. Verse 10 tells us, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. That's God's plan. God's plan is that everyone knows the wisdom of God through the church, through the church. It's worth stressing that the church is the outworking of God's plan because some people think that the church is God's plan B. Some people think, well, plan A was the Israelites. That was who God's chosen people were, but they rebelled, they went away from God, they messed up, so God came up with a different plan, plan B, the church. And, and some of these people think, in the end, God's gonna go back to plan A. God's gonna go back to plan A and he's gonna save the Jews all the Jews. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The church has always been God's plan A. That's always been God's intent. That's what he revealed to Paul. The church is the plan. And so we keep coming back to it time and time again through this letter to the Ephesians because Paul wants us to get it. He wants us to understand it. The church is God's wonderful plan. The problem is sometimes the church we can feel it's a bit of an embarrassment, don't we? Anyone feel that? Sometimes we're just like, oh, really, God? The church is your plan? I mean, the church can sometimes seem a bit like the downside of becoming a Christian. 
Yes, you get a relationship with God, with Jesus. That's the upside. But you kind of have the church as well. It's like the church is the price you have to pay for following Jesus. You have the good news of the gospel, the bad news of the church. It can sometimes seem like that. And sometimes we can look at the, ch- at the expressions of the church. And to be honest, sometimes the church does not reflect Jesus well. And it can be tempting for us when we see where the church does not reflect Jesus well, does not line up with his life and with his teaching and, and his approach to people. And we can say, you know what, I, I'm done with the church. I want to distance myself from the church. I don't want anything to do with the church when it's like that. Because sometimes the church does not look like Jesus. We have to try and come back to saying the church needs to look like Jesus. But the church, we can't ditch the church. We can't ditch the church because that's not who the Bible says the church is. God's been speaking to us this morning, hasn't he? God's been speaking to us through Ben, reminding us, you know, the question, what is the foundation of your life? What is the foundation of your life? And I guess... The answer that we would come to, many of us, is, okay, I, I, want, I want Jesus to be the foundation of my life. We might say that with some or more or less degree of certainty as we reflect on ourselves. But I want Jesus to be the foundation of my life. We've been singing difficult words, as Angela pointed out. You know, I'll follow you ev- anywhere. Difficult words to sing. It's the first time I've sung this song this morning, and, it, and I know Joe reflected on it last week when he was preaching, just saying, these are not easy words to sing. I'll follow you anywhere. But that's the desire of our heart. When God works in our hearts, that's our desire. God, I want to be someone who can follow you anyway. I I know I'm going to fail. So, God, I need your power. I need your Holy Spirit. I need you to help me with that. But that's the desire of my heart. What's the foundation of your life? Well, it involves embracing the church. Because the church is Christ's bride. The church is described as the bride of Christ. It's his wonderful plan. It's ordinary people from every different background united together with a love of Jesus and a love of each other. So we can't say, oh, I love Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I want to follow you anywhere. I really don't like your wife. You know, do I have to be with her? But I want to be with you, Jesus. No, Jesus is like, well, I'm married to my wife. You've got to embrace both of us. Jesus doesn't want you to separate the two out. And Paul says it's through the church that the manifold wisdom of God is made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Who are these rulers and authorities? I haven't got a lot of time to go into it really, but but they're, they're angels and demons. And God is showing them his great wisdom through us, the church. And the way we do that The way we make a declaration to angels and demons about God's wisdom is just by living our lives in the will of God and serving him. That's what Jesus did. Again, people can make it too complicated. We can think it's all about shouting at demons and getting into a load of stuff. Well, no. The greatest victory that Jesus ever had over the legions of hell was on the cross. What did Jesus say to them on the cross? Nothing. He just simply did the will of his heavenly father. He gave up his life for us. And in that way, he defeated the powers of darkness. He thwarted all their plans. It's by doing the will of God 
that will thwart the plans and attacks of the enemy. It doesn't have to be dramatic. We don't have to make a big song and dance about it. We don't have to shout about it. We just do it by God's grace and through the working of his power, the Holy Spirit in us. So all of that is God's plan and purpose that's being revealed to us. It's being revealed to Paul, and he's revealing it and sharing it with us. God's made Paul an administrator or a steward of God's grace. And do you know what? He also makes each one of us stewards of God's grace as well, because God still works out his plans and his purposes through people. He works his plans out through us. He's working his plans out through us, even today. And that might make us feel a little uncomfortable, because we might think, me? Well, I'm not very worthy of God working out his eternal plans through me. I'm not very competent. I don't have a lot to bring. I've got lots of reasons why God can't use me. Well, if you think that, then you're in good company because look at what Paul says about himself in this passage. He says, I became a servant of the gospel by the gift of God's grace through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given to me. He describes himself as less than the least of all God's people. Now, you might think, come on, Paul, come on. I mean, like, give it a rest. You are the great apostle. How can you think you are less than the least of all God's people? Well, why don't you put yourself in his shoes for a moment? Imagine when Paul got together with the other apostles, with Peter, James, John, um, you know, Jude, Nathaniel, all the others, and imagine they were all talking together about all the things that they got up to when they were with Jesus, all the adventures, that feeding of the 5,000, and how they saw people set free from bondage, and how they saw miracles and healings and things like that. They're all talking about it, and Paul's sitting there, and he's like, okay. He wasn't there. He wasn't there. I feel like that sometimes when we get together with um, Canadians, because I've only been here for eight years, and sometimes people are talking about, oh, do you remember this TV show and that TV show? And I'm just like, nope, don't remember any of it. <laughs> That's what Paul was like. He wasn't there at those times. But imagine that they go on and they start talking about the early parts of the church, and they talk about the day of Pentecost when the Spirit was poured out, and then they talk about the witnessing to Jesus and telling people about the gospel and seeing the church grow, and then they get on to talking about how there was persecution and opposition and how people like Stephen got stoned to death and he, he was killed, he was martyred for the sake of Christ. And at that point in the conversation, Paul's thinking, well, I was there then. I was there then. But he wasn't in the same place as the others. He was the one doing the persecution. He was the one arresting people. He was the one imprisoning people. He was the one who stood there as Stephen was stoned to death, condoning it all. He was doing the killing. Imagine how that would have made him feel. He would have known that he was the worst of the worst. He would have known that he was the very least of all God's people. Yet he also knew it was the grace of God, the completely undeserved grace of God, and that the power of the Holy Spirit, which was what made him able to serve God in the way that he'd been called to serve. He had every reason to say, no God, don't use me. I've totally messed it up. I've totally blown it. 
All I deserve is your punishment. That's all I deserve. Instead, all he got was God's grace. All he got was God's grace. God lifted him up to be the one who would go to the Gentiles, the very one who was killing God's people. He'd received God's love. He'd received God's forgiveness. He'd had his shame and humiliation dealt with. He knew he'd not earned it. He knew he'd been changed by God. It was God's grace. And that's how God works. God doesn't tend to work through the lives of the rich or the famous or the influential. That's not who he chooses on the whole. We think it would be amazing if our favorite sports star or our favorite movie star would become a Christian and start to declare the truth about Jesus. That's not the way God chooses to do it on the whole. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 to 29, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one would boast before him. That's what we were like. That's what we were like, and God has chosen us. Why has he chosen us? He's chosen us so that he will get the glory for what he's doing, rather than us. He will get the glory rather than us. Just imagine when God created the universe. If he had managed to gather together all of the finest material to create it with. I mean, if he scoured the universe, everything, all the best things, and he's going to create something out of this raw material, and it's going to be magnificent. I mean, it would still have been incredibly impressive, but we would have maybe said, ah, oh, yeah, but look at the material he used. A bit like when Solomon built the temple. He gathered together all of the, of the best stones, the finest jewels to use. It was impressive, but it was made out of impressive material. And when the disciples came to look at it, they were just like, wow, Jesus, what amazing stones. Look at the material that's being used. They're talking about the material. They weren't talking about Solomon. God didn't use amazing material to create the world. He used nothing. He created it out of nothing. All the glory goes to him. All the glory goes to him. And God doesn't use amazing material to bring about his plans and purposes. He doesn't choose those who are the most intellectual. He doesn't choose those who are the most popular. He doesn't choose those who are the most influential because otherwise people would look and say, oh, what amazing, talented people they are. And they'd get some of the glory instead of God. No, God uses us who are weak and lowly and despised and foolish and the things that are not so that no one will say, what amazing people. They'll say, what an amazing God. Because it's all about God's grace. That's why often the church doesn't look very impressive because it's full of people who aren't actually all that impressive. Just look around. We're not. We're not. God takes people who've made a mess of their lives. We've made messes of our lives. So many of us. We've made a mess of our lives. And God's taken hold of us. And he's turned us around and he's using us for the sake of his glory. That's what he did with Paul. Paul was given the job to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. That was what he was the steward of. 
He could have argued about it. He could have said, oh, I'm not worthy to do that. But God wanted to use him anyway. So we need to know what God's given each of us to do. What's God given you to do? Whatever age you are, whatever background you are, however you've come into this place, what's God given to you to do? Because then we need to do it. Peter says in his letter, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, he said, each of you should use the gift, whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. He's using the same language as Paul. Each of you should use whatever gift you've been given to serve others. In, in the letter to the Romans and 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about the different spiritual gifts, which he gives to us. He gives us gifts. He gives us things, not just for us, so that we can use them for the benefit of others. Romans 12, 6, we each have different gifts according to the grace given to us. None of us is going to have the same. None of us is going to have the same gift. Even if, even if more than one person's got the gift of teaching, we're not going to use it in the same way. The way God uses the gift of teaching that he's given me is different to the way Joe uses the gift of teaching that God's given him and Gary and others, Jody, others who might teach. Two people with gifts of prophecy might outwork it differently. Ginny, who was here a few uh, months ago, will outwork her gift of prophecy different to how Gary outworks his gift of prophecy, to how you, if you've got that gift, might work that gift of prophecy out. But we're all to use what God's given us to serve other people because we're all stewards of it. We're all stewards of it. Because don't fall into the trap of thinking, oh yeah, the gift God's given me, it's not as good as the gift God's given other people. Sometimes we kind of think, oh, we downplay it. We downplay what God's given us. Oh, anyone can use that. Anyone can do that. That gift's less spiritual. Other gifts need special people, more spiritual people. No, Paul doesn't categorize them. Paul doesn't say, here are some spiritual gifts and here are some non-spiritual gifts, some kind of ordinary gifts. In the Romans 12 passage, he talks about prophesying first. He talks about the gifts. He says, oh, you, you could use the gift of prophecy. Let me find it here, actually. Romans chapter 12. He says, uh, we all have different gifts. If your gift is prophesying, prophesy according to your faith. That's what he says first. Oh, okay, starts with a spiritual gift. Then he says, if it's serving, then serve. Oh, serving? That, that doesn't seem quite as spiritual. That, 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 that seems a bit more like, oh, anyone can do that. But, but they can't. Because if that's a gift that God's given you to do, then that's what you can do really well. Then he goes on to say, if it's teaching, then teach. Oh, okay, we're back to the spiritual gifts. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. Oh, surely anyone can encourage someone. No. If that's not your particular spiritual gift, you might find it hard to do that. Some people, you know, some people find home maintenance really easy to do. I don't know if you're one of those people. Um, it, it took me over an hour yesterday to put a toilet roll holder up. <laughs> you know, I struggle with it. I'm just like, oh my word, why am I doing this? This is not my gift. <laughs> The things that God's given us to do, we can think, oh, this is fairly easy. Sometimes people say to me, do you get nervous preaching, Mark? I'm like, no, I don't get nervous in the lead up to preaching. That's not because I'm any better than anyone else. It's just like, I think I'm in God's gift in this. With other things, I get super nervous. 
Anytime I put a shelf up, I think I'm going to knock the house down. <laughs> Whatever God's given you is what you've been given to administrate as a faithful steward. And 1 Corinthians 4.2 says, it's required of stewards that they be found faithful. Each one of us has been given a trust or a stewardship of something. There aren't to be any spectators in the church. There aren't to be any passengers. There aren't to be any uh, you know, people who are just sitting there and, oh, we'll just receive. We'll just come and we'll receive and then we'll go. We're all to be involved. We're all to be involved. And many of us are involved in using their gifts in the church, and it's wonderful. We've seen examples of it even this morning. People involved in praying for us before the meeting, setting up the room, um, serving teas and coffees on the worship band, leading meetings, different things on the sound desk, so many different things, cleaning the room before we get here. Lots of people are involved using their gifts. It's wonderful. We all benefit. We all benefit from who you are and from what you bring, even if it's unseen. And what I'm about to say might be difficult to hear, and, I, and I'm definitely not wanting it to be heavy or harsh, but if you're not involved, if you're not involved in the church, you're not actually being a faithful steward of what God's given you. You, you may be a withholding something that God wants to give to someone else. To put it even stronger, you're kind of stealing from them. Remember what I said about being a mailman in the church. If, if, I, if Santiago, where's Santiago gone? I've lost him. There's Santiago. If Santiago gives me an envelope and he says, oh, can you give that to Joe? He's giving it to me as a steward. I'm a steward of that envelope. The envelope isn't for me, it's for Joe. Now, I might forget. I often do. I might have good reasons why I don't do it. Okay, you might think, no big deal. But if Santiago says, you know, there's $1,000 in this envelope. Can you, it's, it's Joe's. Can you give it to him? And then Santiago later on goes to Joe and says, oh, did you, did you receive that envelope off, that $1,000 off Mark? And Joe said, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't even know anything about $1,000. Then they're going to start to think, hmm, you know, maybe Mark's a thief. <laughs> it's Joe's money. I'm keeping it from Joe. I'm keeping Joe from benefiting from that. If Paul hadn't done what God had given him to do to preach Christ to the Gentiles, then he would have been preventing them from coming into everything God had for them. He would have been preventing them from receiving God's love and God's grace. In a way, he would have been stealing from them. That's why he understood he was a steward of God's grace, and he stopped at nothing to do what God had told him to do. He endured persecution, he endured shipwrecks, beatings, sickness, imprisonment, ultimately death, because he was carrying out what he had been given to do as a steward of Christ. God's given each of us different gifts to use in and through the church. Remember, it's his plan A, so that w the manifold wisdom of God's been made known to the rulers and authorities. But maybe... Maybe you're not using them. And you might have many, many reasons why you're not. Maybe there are other things taking up your time. Maybe you prefer to do other activities. Maybe you don't want to miss out on what other people are doing. 
But the truth is, you've been saved for a purpose. And it's different to what everyone else has got. And maybe you think you're too young. And maybe when you're older, you're going to be able to serve God. But the truth is, you can now with what God's given you now. Maybe you think you're too old and you're beyond that now, but God's still got plans for you. Or maybe you think you don't fit into this culture. The truth is, whatever age or background you are from, you've been called to serve him in and through the church if you've come to know him. It could be that you've been laughed at in the past when you've expressed your faith, maybe by people at school, maybe by people in your workplace, maybe by others even in the church. Maybe you've been put down. Or maybe you feel you've messed up and you feel you're not worthy. Maybe like Paul, you feel you're the least of all God's people. All right. But you need to know that God's grace and mercy and forgiveness have been poured out on your life. And you've been given a trust. You've been made a steward of something for someone else. And honestly, God isn't wanting to come harshly to you this morning. He's coming to you in love and grace And he's saying, come on, fan into the flame the gift that God's given you. Sometimes we just need that encouragement from others. We need people to say, do you know what? I see this in you. Why don't you step out in it? Or they might might say, do you know what? I used to love how you would do this and serve in such a way. And I'm really missing it at the moment. I haven't seen it for a while. Why don't you, why have you shrunk back? Why don't you fan into flame again? what God's put in you. Paul says to Timothy, don't neglect your gift. Don't let anyone look down on you. Come on, Timothy. Use what God's given you for the benefit of others. And as you step out and use the gifts that God's given you, everyone in the church will benefit. More and more people will be stepping out in gifts of encouragement, so more people will be encouraged. More and more people are stepping out in gifts of prophecy so we'll see and have revealed to us more of God. More people using their gifts of serving so more practical things will get done. People will use their gifts of teaching in different settings, maybe not just on the stage, maybe in lots of different settings so people will understand and more of God and his plans for their lives. People will exercise the gift of giving that they might have got. And so financial things will be provided for. People might use their gift of leadership so more people will be discipled. People will use their gifts to pray for others. Um, And maybe they've got gifts of healing and they'll pray and people will be healed and set free. And so on and so on and so on. That's how the church works. As we all step up and as we all use what God's given in to us. And they're gifts of grace. And they don't have to be hard work because they're gifts that God's given us and he makes it easy. The gifts of God that he's put in us don't operate on our own, on their own. They don't operate in spite of us. We have to act on them. We have to actually will them. It's our faith, it's our courage that we have to step out and do something. And then everyone will benefit. The church will benefit. The community will benefit. The spiritual beings will see the manifold wisdom of God. And as we do it, knowing God's going to work through us powerfully, we'll see him and we'll see him do things. It's all God's grace. It's all done by the power of the Holy Spirit. And all the glory will go to him. God's wisdom is being shown through the church. It's being made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. God has called each one of us to be a part of that. So why don't we pray that that happens? Let's stand together.
I'm going to ask Angela and the band to come back up. We're going to sing uh, a song, really. It's, it's really a prophetic song, declaring what we see happening, praying, oh God, will you use me as part of what you're doing? Let's pray together first. Father God, I thank you, oh God, that we, we've been saved by you. We've been chosen by you. We've been brought into all that we've been singing and talking about this morning. You've brought us into your great love and power. You've bring, brought forgiveness to us. You've set us on a solid foundation. Lord, we do want to follow you anywhere. But Lord God, we know, we thank you that you choose to use us. And we know there's many reasons why we have maybe shrunk back from that. All that we've said, maybe more. God, where we need that encouragement, Lord, will you come to us with such gentleness, such tenderness, but yet such encouragement to stir us again in what you've put in us. Lord, thank you. All the glory goes to you. It's not about how good we are at it. It's about what you are choosing to do in and through us. And I pray, oh Lord, you'll use each one of us from the youngest to the oldest in serving you and displaying your glory and splendor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.